My name is Joe Radosevich. It's good to be back with family. My family's here with me. Emma, you guys know our four oldest. I think our youngest, Oscar, was born just before you guys commissioned this off. But it does feel like being back with family. Uh, been to many staff meetings and meetings here at this church, services with you guys. And so it's good to see friendly faces, people that pray for us, people that care about us, uh, people that have supported us. The question people ask me a lot is, do you like Wisconsin? Do you, do you, do you really like Belgium? If you, if you can't tell, I'm not from around here. I've got a southern accent. And so my answer is yes, we actually do. We wouldn't have moved to the land of snow and ice and one-degree mornings if we didn't love cold weather. So we do. We love it. We love the house that, the God, that God has given us. We love the town that we're in. We love the church that he's given us uh, to lead and to shepherd and to care for. We love the people that we get to uh, eat with and share our lives with and share the gospel with. And to be honest, aside from, uh, and let me tell you, and we also had the most bountiful crop in our garden we've ever had. I'll tell you, I was scared to death when it got to May and we still couldn't plant anything because it was too, too cold and windy and rainy. But then we had the best crop that we've ever had. And so the things, a lot of the things that I love in life, we can have here in Wisconsin. But the thing that I, I love the most, the thing that I love the most is the fact that we in Belgium, if you draw a five-mile circle around our church, we, don't, we have an area with 15,000 people and nobody to share the responsibility of sharing the gospel in that circle. I don't love that because that means that there's no churches saying that uh, salvation is by grace through faith, not of yourselves. I don't love the fact that people haven't heard the gospel, but I love the fact that with every person that I talk to and every story that I get to share and every friend I get to make, I know we get to make a difference here. And so we get to be in a place where in, there's those 15,000 people and we've got a responsibility to make sure that they get to know and hear and love and experience the love of Christ. Because I'll be honest, just like with most towns, this is a town where addiction is just filling families where abuse has just been hidden under the rug for years and years, and they would just say, oh, well, that's just grandpa. He's a dirty old man. This is a town where, like, people, has, kids have committed suicide. And how do you process it? How do you process that outside of Christ? How do you process the death of a sister and parent, uh, in-laws that have both committed suicide? When you, when, and then I go, and I, I'm sharing the, the love and the message and hope of Christ. And she goes, I've never heard this before. And so the thing that I love in Belgium is we get to be in a place where we make a difference. Every person that we talk to has a story, has pain, has fears, has shame, has guilt, and we've got the best message possible. We're not just a better flavor of church. We're actually the, the hands and feet of Christ in Belgium day after day. And so that's kind of the situation we're in. Shame, guilt, death, suicide, addiction, abuse, all that stuff is filling our area. But we get to be the kind of church that makes a difference. I was at a city or a village event recently. One of the village leaders came up to me and he said, so how big do you, th- church, do you think your church needs to be? And I, lo- I love that kind of Wisconsin bluntness. Like how big, how many people do you think you need to have attending your church? And I told him, I said, I- I'll give you an answer. I said, but let me tell you what I really care about. I said, I care less about how many people sit in seats in our church. But if we believe that Jesus actually loves every person living on every block and every street in this town, then I care more about having somebody living on that block loving and speaking Jesus to the people on that block, joining Jesus in loving those people. I said, if we have somebody living on every block, speaking the words of Jesus, joining Jesus, loving those neighbors, then we're not going to have to worry about attendance. We're going to worry more about what kind of disciple that we make 
not necessarily how many people we can get to come into a building. I'll tell you a story about a lady that's that just an epitome of that. She, was attend- she came a handful of times in the first nine months we were open. And she told me, she said, I'm attending the Catholic church with my husband because I love him. I don't believe any of this stuff, but I love my husband and so I'm going to go. And so I just said, okay, I'm going to love this woman. I'm going to support her. I'm going to care for her. I kind of pastored her. She had knee surgery and different things happened in her life. And a few months ago she came and I was like, hey, what's going on? You, you know, here at a service. And she said, I told my husband, I need strength to do the things that God's called me to do. And I can find that here. You see, this is a woman that has been loving a mentally ill girl living next door. The mom calls and says, she's been cutting and I need to get her to the hospital. I need to get an ambulance there. Can you go and sit with her? She told me, she said, I, was, I went next door and I didn't know what to do. So I held her and I prayed. And she said, did I do the right thing? And I said, Linda, I said, Linda, if every girl in this town that was cutting, every person in this town that was covered in shame and guilt and fear had a spirit-filled person physically holding them and praying for them, we would change this town. Like, that's the kind of disciple that we get to make in Belgium. We get to raise kids to be that kind of disciple that says, you know what, my school is the place that God has called me to love and be the arms and mouthpiece of Jesus. And so we get to be that kind of church, and you guys have been a big part in taking, hurting people in from our church, letting them heal, building them up, and then saying, hey, we'll send them out with interest. We'll send more. You guys have sent people to us so that we get to be that, that beachhead in Belgium. We're not the end of it. We're just the beginning part of what God wants to do in Belgium and in Wisconsin and really around the world. So I really love being with you guys. I love the support. That's some of the things that God is doing in Belgium. Now you guys can know a few of those stories and know that there are more of those. What you can also do is, the Bible says, pray to the Lord of the church that he will send attenders. No, he didn't say that. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers into the fields. And so pray that the Lord will send people, not who say, hey, this is a good flavor of church. They've got a better preacher. They've got great music. They've got this and they've got that. Pray that he would send people like Linda who are like, this, this block, this team in my workplace this classroom in my school, this, this family that God has given me is the place that he's given me to join him, and I'm going to do that. So pray that God would send people like that. Pray people would send that kind, not how many, to us. Well, they did ask me to preach and not just tell a few stories. So when I was in, well, let me, let me step back. So I grew up in a really big family, and that means that I never had to be alone. I'm I'm not sure I actually spent a night completely alone in a house until I was like a sophomore in college. And that was the moment that I realized I don't handle being alone very well. Never been totally alone in a house until my sophomore year of college. My, I was living in the basement of my great aunt and uncle's house. They went to Florida for three weeks, and I realized I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. Now, the house had these like kind of like interior doorknobs with like a little push-button lock on the outside of the house. And I fixated on, I've got to get better locks on the doors of this house because anybody can do whatever they want in this house. I came up with all sorts of scenarios of this could happen and this could happen. If, if I, and I just zeroed in on those doorknobs and thought, if, if I can just get better doorknobs in this house. I think there were even times where I took chairs and put them in front of the doors because I was like, I don't have any idea what's going to happen here. These doorknobs can't hold anybody back. Nobody knows that I'm here. Nobody's going to check on me. And so I was totally alone and totally afraid. 
Well, now I don't have that issue because I've got a wife and five kids, and so I don't have to spend whole nights alone. But I have found that there's other things in my life that I find myself afraid of. There are other things that I begin going, oh my gosh, what if this happens? So maybe I need to get all of these other things in place. And I begin to get fixated on all of the bad things that could happen to my wife, to my kids, to my finances, to my church, to my career. I could begin to go, oh, if I I can just get these things in order, if I can just get these things, then I'm going to be safe. And what I've discovered is I never get all of those things in place. I never get all of those things in place so that I'm finally secure and I'm finally free from fear. And I wonder if anybody here has that kind of, any of those kind of fears. You see, it's, it's not just, well, I'm living paycheck to paycheck, and so if I can just finally get out of this financial hole, these credit cards can be paid off, these school loans can be paid off, if this could be in the place. You see, that, that afflicts people with money. My parents once knew a couple. She was dressed in rags while her husband was trying to sock away so much money because he was afraid of ruin. It's not just poor people that are afflicted by fear of financial failure. If, we, if you, like me, sometimes look at the Milwaukee or Sheboygan news, you can go, wow, there's a lot of things to be afraid of. I can't believe that these things are going on. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something in your family. You look at your kids and you're just afraid. You, know, you say, I know the choices that they're making and I can't do anything about it. And all I can do is just, just sit here brooding in fear. Can we ever be delivered? Can we ever get, can we ever get this thing away from us? So I wonder if anybody else here is dealing with fear. So where are we going to find security? If there's always something else, where are we going to find security? Turn with me to Psalm chapter 121. Psalm chapter 121. Psalm 121 is marked a song of ascents. It's a song that the people of Israel would sing when they were journeying to Jerusalem once a year. They had a series of songs that they sang, and this is one of them. A song of ascents. You see, what what I love about the song of ascents, but really I love about the psalms in general, is they're like lived out spirituality. This is what it's like to walk with God. This is what it's like to walk with God when I'm afraid, when I'm scared, when I'm bitter, when it's hard to forgive, when I'm covered in shame and guilt. This is what it's like to walk with God when everything's going great and things are sunny. The Psalms are for us to participate in, not just read in here. And so I want to show you today in Psalm 121, where are we going to find security if we're living in a world? Honestly, it's not even the world. If we're just living with people that are afraid, if I am afraid, where am I going to find security? Psalm 121, verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, as as we come to you, each of us has our own fears. Each of us has our own fears. I pray that you would lift that burden from us, that you would help us find that we do not have to be afraid because our help comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. A friend of mine told me recently that growing up in a tr- trauma-filled home, home, family life was a wreck. Like it was, it's beyond a wreck. And he said the thing that he realized, the thing that he realized when he grew up, had his own family, was living his own life, is that 
Growing up in that kind of house, you constantly learn to swivel your head looking for threats. You constantly begin to swivel your head going, where's the security? You go, what's behind this door? Who's going to spring out from behind this door? What's going to happen tomorrow? And that's what we see in this psalm. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And his answer is, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven. The mountains, those, those far out places, way out there. It's hard for me to see what, what's coming next. But my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. What I want to show you here in this psalm is four things not to fear. Four things not to fear if our help comes from the Lord. Four things not to fear if your help comes from the Lord. Verses 3 and 4 tell us, do not fear any mistakes. Do not fear any mistakes. Verse 3 says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You see, he just starts out, Your foot's not going to slip. You see, you're walking through mountains. You're seeing all of these things that you're afraid of. And the, the psalmist says, He will not let your foot slip. Not only that, the one that watches over you, He's not going to sleep. He's not going to slumber. The way one commentator puts it is he says that the one who redeems Israel isn't going to lose him along the way. The one who, who, the one who redeems Israel isn't going to lose and fall asleep. He's not going to let your foot slip. Not just you, but he's not going to fall asleep. Slumbering, slipping off, doing something else. You see... That's the thing that we see when we look in the Old Testament. We see that in the life of Abraham. God promises Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation of you, but it sure seems like a mistake as they get older and older and older. God, did you nod off? God, did you forget me? God, here I am alone. Me and my wife have nothing. And then not only that, then he comes up with a strategy and he has a son with his wife's servant. But then God says, no, that's not the one. God, are you sure? God, are you making a mistake here? God, Why can't he be the son of the promise? We've worked this out. Then when God calls Abraham, Abraham, will you sacrifice Isaac? God, are you sure? Are you you making a mistake? No, what we end up finding is that in the life of Abraham, in the life of Joseph, in the life of Moses, in the life of David, all of these things that look like mistakes, that look like feet that are slipping, God never slumbers, never nods off, never falls asleep. And so the message to you and I is we look and go, God, are you making a mistake with my kids? God, are you making a mistake with my spouse? God, are you making a mistake in my job? I really thought this was the way that you wanted to go. God, I thought this ministry was what you wanted me to be a part of. God, are you making a mistake? No, the message of this verse 3 and 4 is do not fear any mistakes. God is not going to fall asleep and go off duty in your life. He's not going to drop the ball. He's not going to nod off. He's not going to forget you. He's not going to wander off and do something more important. Psalm 121, 3 and 4 says, Do not fear any mistakes. God is not going to make a mistake in your life. The second thing, not to fear. Do not fear any threat. Do not fear any threat. Verse 5 and 6 says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Oh, the Lord who watches over you. Another way of putting that, your translation may say, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord, his identity is wrapped up in him watching over you. The lie says, I am my keeper. 
I'm the one that has to control this. If I can get the door locks right, if I can get my savings high enough, if I can get my house paid off, if I can finally get a job where I'm the boss, then I will finally be watched over and kept. No, that's a lie. This passage says the Lord is your keeper. He is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. That's this image that if you live in the desert or in the wilderness, the sun is like an enemy. Because the the sun will wear you out. And at night is when you're unprotected because you don't know what's out there. And so here, do not fear any threat. The sun or the moon, real or imagined, do not fear any threat, anything out there. Nothing. Nothing is going to come to you that does not come through him. That's the same thing that we see when we look in the Old Testament and see the story of Hagar. Hagar is that servant that Abraham had the child with. She's cast off as as. No, go off your own way. This is going to be bad. And we end up finding that the angel of the Lord comes to her, providing for her and protecting her. It's the thing that we see when we look at Ruth, a woman from the wrong country who's a widow, who owns nothing, deserves nothing, and ends up finding that God is a defender and a redeemer and a deliverer. What we find here in Psalm 121, 5 and 6, is that do not fear any threat. I love the quote about this that says, Your divine companion stands between you and every threat. Your divine companion stands between you and every threat. This isn't some motivational thing that we've seen on Facebook, some kind of motivational poster that's out there. This is right here in Psalm 121. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Nothing is going to come at you that does not come to him first. So do not fear any threat. Do not fear any threat. The third thing not to fear, verse 7, do not fear any evil. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. These are words worth meditating on one by one. It's the Lord that's going to keep you from all harm. Not money, not people, not relationships, not a government, not a job. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He's the one that's going to keep you from the evil one. He will watch over your life. This image that God who breathes life into us is going to be the one that keeps it. So what God breathes, God will keep. So your soul, your heart is kept secure. This says do not fear any evil because there's nothing out there that's going to threaten it. Nothing that's going to threaten it and come to you without going through him because it is the Lord that will keep you from all harm. I'll be honest, this is where the psalm gets really hard to participate in because I've seen some awful stuff in the news. I've seen some awful stuff on my street. This is where we have to choose. Am I actually going to believe and take God at his word? He will keep me from all harm. I know some of you carry great wounds. Some of you look back on your life and you go, what? Where was God? Where was God when? This passage says, no, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He's going to keep your life. The thing I keep in mind, do not fear any evil because the Lord is going to keep the life that he gives you. The Lord is going to keep the life that he gives you. And so we can look out there. We can look out at our kids and go, God, what's coming? Maybe because they're young or maybe they're old. And you go, God, I don't have any idea what's out here. This passage says, do not fear any evil because he's going to keep the life that he puts in you. 
And then the fourth thing, not to fear, is do not fear any place. Verse 8 says, The Lord will watch over your, go, your coming and going, both now and forever. Again, it's the Lord. It's not your actions. It's not your control. It's not your wisdom. It's not your obedience that's going to watch. It's the Lord. He's going to watch over your coming and your going. He's covered everything here. You're leaving your house and you're coming back to your house. The Lord is going to watch over all those places. Some of you, like me, you look at your street and you go, what in the world? This, this place has become a dangerous place. No, do not fear any place because the Lord will watch over your coming and your going. So not only is he covering every place, but he says now and forevermore. That's not going to change. It's not going to change next week. It's not going to change next year. Do not fear any place because the Lord will be watching over you now and forever. These comparisons cover everything. There and here, now and forever. And so this becomes a song for us to sing in the hard times. This becomes a song for us to sing when we go, God, I feel so unsafe. God, there's so much to be afraid of. God, what is happening with my kids and my job and my parents? What's happening with my relationship with my wife or my husband? This is a song for those of you right now, racked by fear, racked by insecurity, going, where is my help going to come from? Psalm 121 says, my help comes from the Lord. Your help comes from the Lord. Those of you that right now don't feel racked by fear, this is a song to practice for those times. You have the advantage right now of saying, I'm going to make Psalm 121 the song of my heart so that when something comes, I'm singing. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. But if you're like me, this kind of sermon can become a kind of rah-rah thing. Oh, okay, don't fear. That's real nice. That's real helpful. But I'm really scared. You, Joe, that's really nice. You said these great things about don't fear. That's easier said than done. Most of the time, I fear my own mistakes, afraid that God's making a mistake. I am afraid of all of those threats because I think I'm the only keeper. I am afraid of evil because I don't think that God's coming between me and anything. And I'm afraid of so many different places because I feel totally alone. Where's the good news in a passage like this? I don't deserve this. I haven't done anything to earn it, but I'm trying constantly to get there. Joe, where's the good news for somebody like me? You see, the one that wrote these words is the same one that lived the life that you and I should have lived. He's the one that wandered in a wilderness with no place to call his own, hungry and tired, He's the one that died at the hands of sinful men, at the hands, where the, at the hands of the Romans and at the hands of the Jews. He's the one where the hurricane of every bad thing possible came rushing on him. So that, even in that moment, when Jesus was hanging on a cross, bearing all of the bad things that you and I both deserve and fear, then when he's resurrected, then we know he has power over all of those things. And none of them belong to us. That we can know for sure that they will always come through him to us. We can know that he has borne all of the bad stuff that we should fear. So that we can bear all of the good stuff that he earned. You see, maybe some of you go, Joe, 
How can I know for sure that Jesus bore all of this bad stuff, all of the mistakes, every threat, every evil? How can I know that he has borne all of these things in my place? The story of the Bible is the story that God made the world and he made it good. There was nothing to fear. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no abuse. There was no addiction. The Bible says that God walked in the cool of the day in the garden with the people that he made. There was nothing to fear. But sin and death and guilt and shame and all of the stuff that threaten you and I come because Adam and Eve and every person after them said, no, we will not live your way. We will not live in your kingdom. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to set up our own ways. We will be our own protectors. And the story of the Bible is that one day God will crush his enemies. But instead of leaving us as his enemies, he came and lived the life we should live, died the death that we should die. So that all who repent of sin and trust in Christ have nothing to fear because we know that he comes as help. He has come as help and he one day will come back making everything right. He will be our help. So if you have questions about that, if you go, Joe, I want to know that for sure. Come and talk with me. Come and talk with Don. Come and talk with any of the elders. Because what we want is for you to find security in the Lord. What we want is for you to find your help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And so where, do we, where does our security come from? Where does our help come from? Your help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you that you have knit us together with these brothers and sisters, that you've knit us together with this church. You've given us responsibility for the Wisconsin edge of Lake Michigan. I thank you that you are our security. Even as we look at the the people around us, we see so many things to fear. Your word tells us our help comes from the Lord who made this place. In Jesus' name, amen.